Hello, hi, hi, hello, welcome, welcome to another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm your host, Danny Lobel. And today's episode is a lost episode, now found with Kurt Braunholer. I recorded this for season two, which is years ago, and the audio was messed up and we didn't think we could use it, and uh, kudos to Logan Heftel who pulled it all together. He's been with us since episode one, our incredible audio engineer, Logan Heftel, and uh, we have now got this episode. It's uh, it's a real throwback. It's a different Danny at the time. It's a different Kurt. I don't know Kurt, so I assume it's a different Kurt because he talks about how rough it was and struggling, and now he's pretty successful. So I guess this would be a, a totally different Kurt from before before things hit big for him. Yeah, I'm excited for you to hear it. It's it's interesting. It's old school modern day philosophers. It's uh. My interview style was was uh, still different. I I listened back on it and I feel like I've really grown. But it's also kind of cool to look back at this episode and see where I was at. So uh, yeah, this is the first time we have something like this. So be excited, get get pumped. Can you feel it? I can. It's exciting. Hey, quick question: Are you in LA? You might be. Are you close? Are you coming to LA? Because do you know what's coming up? It's the 46th annual Friends of Sheba 2016 Gala. And it's happening on October 30th in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. That's where it's gonna be. Friends of Sheba. Friends of Sheba. Uh, The gala is called The Hero Gene. And it's going to benefit Sheba Medical Center in Tel HaShomer, Israel. It's a very, very important thing. Uh, They need the money. And uh, maybe we can we can all help somehow. So it's 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 important. They need they do a lot of great work at Telashomer. They they help a lot of people and um, all kinds of people. So so this is a big it's a big deal, and uh, it's very important that you come out to this important important event to help to help the Telashomer Shiva Medical Center in Israel. They depend on you. They depend on you. Generosity. It is people like you who can make it great in Israel to boost the people to health to the medical center. We're making great innovations. We're helping so many people, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, wherever they are. They all get seen at Tel Shomer uh, Hospital in Israel. And it is hosted by Seinfeld's own Jason Alexander. George. It's going to be honoring... Arnon Adar, the president and chief executive officer of CNA Enterprises. And for tickets, you can go to friendsofsheba.org. I'll be there. Come say hello. Friendsofsheba.org. Ah, I'm excited. It's a new day. I just woke up. I am pumped, full of energy. And uh, I had weird dreams. I don't really, really exactly remember what they were, but at one point I was in a Jeep Grand Cherokee. And uh, I'm riding around with my wife, Kylie's in the Jeep with me. And then in real life, my wife is laying next to me in bed sleeping and she talks in her sleep sometimes and she talks so loudly that she wakes me up, but I'll be like in a half awake, half asleep state when she does it. So she, she goes, this is a lousy cave or something. She says, this is not a good cave. And I... Being in like half dream mode, I, I responded in, in my sleep and I said, it's not a cave, it's a Jeep. And as I spoke out loud, I kind of woke myself up. And then I was in this weird state where I was like, am I in a Jeep? No, I'm on a mattress. 
we're both in a mattress. She's not in a cave and I'm not in a Jeep. And I was thinking, oh, she's confused because a cave is kind of like a dome shape, like the top of a Jeep. Um, but then I realized, no, we're both completely in alternate realities. It was, we're both on a mattress. I'm not in a Jeep and she's not in a cave. I don't know why that's important. It's probably not. People don't like hearing about dreams, but it was just interesting because then I lay there half awake, half asleep being like, I'm in a bed. She's in a bed, but we both think we're in different things. It's so weird and cool. And I know it's something that you're like, yeah, yeah, we all know how dreams work, Danny. I get it. But it was just this real weird moment for me this morning, like laying there being like, we were just totally in a virtual alternate reality. The bed is just like the coolest thing. Like you lay in this bed and then you get taken on these journeys and we're both on separate journeys lying next to each other. I don't know. Just, it hit me. Go to friendsofsheba.org. Get your tickets to the 2016 gala. It's a really important cause. Support it. Come say hello. I'll be there. Okay. It is, uh, speaking of Jewish things, the Jewish New Year has just passed. So I thought, why not do a drive? I've never done a drive for the show. I don't even like driving, as some of you know. But uh, I need to make a donation drive. We need support for this show. I always say go to moderndayphilosophers.net and you can click the donation button. But um, maybe if you haven't done it in a while or you've never done it and you're thinking of doing it, maybe now's a good time to do it. Go to moderndayphilosophers.net, click donate. And I'll also send out an email to everybody on the email list also asking for a donation. So if you see that, that's what that's about. If you want to get on the list, uh, there'll be a field on the website to join the mailing list, or you could always email me at thecomical at yahoo.com and ask to be added to the list. Or you could also ask for one other thing, another way to support the show. I have 15 vinyls left from a very limited run we did of Some Kind of Comedian, my album, with Stand Up Records, standuprecords.com. And uh, they all come with digital download codes, and they have original artwork by Meatbag, who is a very talented artist from the Twin Cities, uh, Minnesota, representing Stand Up Records. So yeah, you can get one of these albums. They're pretty cool. I doubt we'll ever make any more of them. So we have another album coming out soon that I recorded in Spain. So this is kind of the last chance if you want to be one of the people to have this. They're really cool. 15 of them left. Some kind of comedian on vinyl. Let me know if you want one. Send me an email and we will make the arrangements. I'll sign it. I will inscribe it to you. I'll write a note. And if you live near me, I'll hand deliver it. How about that? Okay. Without further ado, except for the intro song, here is the throwback, the lost episode. The lost episode. We went 15,000 leagues under the sea to find a treasure chest and unlock it. And inside it was an SD card with this lost episode. The lost episode with Kurt Braunholer. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. I'm ready. Let's sure. do it. Yeah. Okay. I'm, to- I'm totally ready. You ready? Uh, I'm ready. All right, good. Maybe I'll take one more second. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm you ready. Know. I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. You sure? Yeah. Okay. I'm positive. I'm, well, Want another second? Now that you offer it, yeah. I'll take it. If you get, if you, I mean, we have a, probably 3,600 seconds. It's a lot of seconds. I love the luxury of time. It's Is nice. that an hour? Is that an hour? I don't know. I'm, I'm not that <laughs> mathematically inclined. But So six, yeah, 1660. I just trust. When people say math things 3, to me 000. with confidence, I just trust that they, they're right. We're 3,600 seconds. Yeah. I mean, we're losing them constantly. I think that's what would make me a terrible businessman. You know, somebody you can't be like, if someone just quickly, confidently think... told me money things, oh, you know, money like, things like, like that. You know, like, well, you know, uh, your revenue is up twelve uh, percent, which brings us to, uh, and then they just named a number. I would, I wouldn't probably question. I'd be like, oh, that guy knows math. I better shut up. You know, I don't. I wonder. I don't. You know, I'm gonna go out on the on a limb and say probably business people. First off, business people, I like that it's just a general. <laughs> Secondly, I'm, I don't know if they need to be good at simple arithmetic. I don't know if simple arithmetic is what's making the business world tick. You know, I, I had math teachers that scared me out of the business world. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I hated math. Me too. The worst. It was no good. You know, my theory on on it is I think math teachers are bored with what they teach because it's never changing. I think I wish I had had. So when does math become like philosophy? Because there's a certain point where math becomes like, well, we've done the math, and our universe is a simulation of, uh, of from another universe. You know, it's just like, <laughs> what? Like a that Smith math movie. sounds awesome. <laughs> like, what math, what math is that, you know? Yeah. Is it just that, like, the math that we <laughs> learn is so simplistic that it's not, it's never, you have to get really good at it before it gets really cool and interesting. Yeah, the true, like, wizard mathematicians. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Those people who are just like, yeah, we've done the math and gravity doesn't exist. <laughs> it's like, what is that? I don't want to know what kind of math that is. <laughs> I can't do that kind of math. I can't do that kind of math. <laughs> I bet you there's some probably, like, uh, carpe, you know, Robin William carpe diem level math instructors out there. We just don't know them. We didn't have them in our lives. Robin William? What? Robin Williams in uh, Dead uh, Poets Society. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Wasn't that Robin Williams? I, I didn't see the movie. You didn't see Dead Poets Society? No, I haven't seen it. Get it together. What do you do with your life? I don't know. You missed I, one of the biggest hits of the 90s. I've just been wasting time. Just You've taking been waste, extra seconds. Wasting time. <laughs> Carpe diem and all that. Oh, I think man. that's been proven. That, that movie made me smoke cigarettes. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to seize the day. I got to see it now. I'll <laughs> put, put the pieces together after I listen to the interview oh, back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. It's, maybe it's not Robin Williams. I'm pretty sure it's Robin Williams. I just keep wondering if I'm getting Robin Williams in... in um, You've seen the movie with uh, How About Them Apples... You know, oh, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, that that's was a also lot of Robin Williams too, right? Yeah. You want to hear something? After I saw that movie, and uh, you know, Matt Damon's doing these great calculations on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was, um, I was still in school in school at the time, and I remember staying late after math class and thinking, you know, with delusions of grandeur that I have, I thought maybe I could do some amazing yeah. math thing and solve it. So when everybody left. I took some chalkboard on the board. I went flipped to my math book to like the hardest division equation. The a division <laughs> equation. 
<laughs> and, I'm, and like a madman, I was working there, and like you know, we're, working we're the number, how long on a division? You, <laughs> how many times thirteen goes into five hundred? You know the long, the long division where out. you're like bringing it down, and you got another <laughs> thing underneath that. And I felt like a genius, <laughs> just because you're doing it at a board. Yeah, and the janitor walked in, and he was like, "You can't be in here right now. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta get out of here. Gotta get out of the room." And I left and he like wiped it off. I'm like, my equation. My equation. No one knows how many times 11 goes into 622. I was going to prove that gravity didn't exist. I was going to be the guy. That's and great. also I think another thing that's problem, a problem with math is that your answer is just another number. Yeah. It's not like something surprising. Not a new number that you've yeah. never seen. Ooh, what's this shape? What is this? Wow. Oh, it's. 17. Yeah. Oh, that's the answer. <laughs> 17. <laughs> Boring old 17. Maybe those fancy mathematicians that you were talking about are the guys that have numbers that we don't even know about. I'm sure they do. They've got something. They've got numbers that we can't even have. There's numbers that are all just letters. We mustn't let the public get a hold of these numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, coffee coming in. <laughs> toot, toot, coffee train. These are private numbers only Thank for the rich and famous and powerful world leaders. Oh, this, this looks like some pretty good coffee. Oh, yeah, this is good stuff. This is some talking about philosophy coffee. <sighs> Good. Uh, your puppy dogs is getting some pets from me. I'm getting some coffee. This is great. Yeah, this is a wonderful experience. Tell, tell everyone. Tell it's everyone. a wonderful Spread experience, guys. It's, it's a great time. The privately owned numbers of, yeah. of the rich and famous. <laughs> I, I I often wonder, being a poor person that mm. I am, and I I have a pretty decent, a pretty fun life. I think. I mean, yeah. it, it's got its low points, and it's definitely got a. I think a lot of it is the the fear of what not having money, the fear that that produces. But I often wonder if I was very very rich. Yeah. What kind of fun would I have access to that I don't have access to right now? I mean, I think I have. Is there some kind of secret fun? It's primarily zip lines. <laughs> it's primarily yeah. zip lines in rainforests. That's what you're missing out that, on. That's it. And they are very fun. I mean, I've never been on them, but I've seen videos on the internet, and they look really fun. You, you don't think you could get on a zip line as a poor person? In a rainforest? How are you going to get to the rainforest? Well, what if you're one of the native forest people? You're I'm not sure allowed you on a probably... zip line. Uh, no? You don't... If you're a native forest person, they're not letting you on that zip line. <laughs> White people are coming in from another country to ride the zip line through your home. <laughs> you don't get to ride that. No way. What else? What else are you missing out on? I don't uh, know. I just think there's only a few things you could really do for fun. Like, it's a Saturday night. You're not a comedian. You want to go out. What are you going to do? You could go bowling. What, as a person yeah. with a, a lot of money? As an average person. You could rent humans to entertain you. And what would they do? They would have sex with you. They would You could do that do as a, a poor dance. person. You could dance as a poor person. No, they would dance for you. <laughs> <laughs> you could drive around in a hot tub that's in the back of a car. Okay. Hot tubs, I think, are another just general rich person thing. Yeah, yeah. I belong to the LA Fitness, and it's and you constantly go to the hot tub. You it's do not twenty nine dollars a month. You can't, including taxes. You can't get drunk in there that hot tub. There is a hot tub. tub. You can't well, get drunk in that hot tub. Not legally. Yeah. But but believe me, there's, you could be drunk and go in. There's definitely a drunk Greek guy in there every now and then. <laughs> 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 All right. You want to jump into this philosophy? I do. I love philosophy. All right. Let's you know you're talking. I'm a philosophy major. So I was that is college. exciting for me because I am a philosophy idiot. I like I, that you have a podcast about that. Yeah. Then. 
Well, that the podcast is because I have a, a great curiosity learn. for yeah. it. So when I have somebody in here who actually knows philosophy, it's a real treat. Oh, good. So I'm happy to have you. Well, let's see if it's a philosopher I know. Um, the guy that Alex picked out for you is Harry Frankfurt. Have you heard of him? No. It's finally a name I can pronounce. Harry Frankfurt. This is what Alex wrote. He said, first of all, tell Kurt that my friend Rob went to college with him and that he said Kurt was in a band called The Broges. The, the Bro- Brogues. The Brogues, who played a single show in their basement. Yes. They lived in a sh- shady area, and one of their neighbors was a crack dealer named Cornbread. Oh, my God. This person knows. He's really thorough. That's very true. All of that's very true. Yeah. I was never in The Brogues. I was in a Como Safeway. Which that? Was, uh, that was the band, Como Safeway. It was all about the, the shopping center Safeway. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, my friend Hank was in the Brogues, and I probably hung out with the Brogues a lot. But there was Cornbread. There was Cornbread and Cricket, I think. And they were these two dudes who would just always hang out in front of our stoop in Baltimore mm-hmm. and then just try and sell us stuff. But it would always be stuff that we didn't need. And be like, oh, man, we got this great baby bassinet. I'm like, cornbread, we're all 19 years old. None of us have a need for a baby bassinet at all. He's like, what about this uh, Door of the Explorer backpack? And it's like, that's for a seven. Did you rob a child? Like, what is going on? And then one day I saw cornbread only riding on a, um, on like a child's bike, like a, child, a girl's pink bike down the street. And I was like, this is, what is he just constantly robbing nurseries? He makes use for things. Yeah. And cornbread's name was Francis. Francis. I found that out one night. Francis we would hang out. Cornbread we would we would hang out with yeah. cornbread far too often. Like cornbread, we would go. We went. I went to cornbread's house once. Cornbread came over a whole, whole bunch. But we'd also. I bought a bunch of TVs off cornbread. So we had seven TVs stacked on top of each other, all of which were in like di- varying stages of working. And so you turn them all on, and you get like picture on one, sound on another. The other one was like black and white. One was color. And you'd sync great. them up. And, and yeah, it, yeah, you and just put them all together. The you have channel. one TV watching yeah, yeah. experience. We watch The Simpsons that way. What was Cornbread's house like? Sad. Like, you know, like, um, like just sheets, uh, sheets nailed over windows. Like that level sad. Uh, yeah. That is sad. I think Cornbread, Cornbread was just getting by, like selling things to people on the street. I wonder if Cornbread secretly wanted to be a father. That's why he surrounded himself with all these children's things. Yeah, maybe. I don't... Maybe it was deeper than... <laughs> maybe it was deeper than we know. I bet you Cornbread was a father. He was a father? I bet she was. So we've got this, uh, this information. So I don't know, but, but my question is, who's this Rob character? Rob Because I don't... Soretti. Oh, Rob Soretti. Yeah. Seems to make... That reminds me of a name. I think I know a Rob Soretti. I mean, I obviously went to... Well, he was this person it. has intimate knowledge of my life in Baltimore, so. Yeah? Yeah. What age so they're you, real. What age did you leave Baltimore? 22. Okay. I just went to school there. What part of Baltimore did you live in? We lived in Charles Village. Oh, because Kylie's from Baltimore. Oh, yeah? So you don't remember any of the songs from the Safeway? What was it called? Como again? Safeway. Como Safeway. I guess, apparently, Hank made up the name. I guess Como Safeway mm-hmm. means something in Spanish. Okay. It means, how are you doing in the future, maybe? Anybody? I, I don't, don't speak know. it. So it's Como Safeway. Safeway was a grocery store around the corner. But, but you don't remember any of the lyrics from a song? Oh, I played drums, which oh. I didn't. I mean, I don't play drums, so you can imagine how bad that band was. But our one <laughs> show that we played, it was Como Safeway, uh, Bunny Hand Grenade, 
Perestroika, which is, and the fuses. Perestroika and the fuses were actually like good, relatively popular Baltimore bands at the time. Okay. And we were just terrible college students. And, there, and we later found out that our entire basement was covered in asbestos. So I probably have lung cancer. I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. Is this where it's revealed? Yeah. That's where I tell you. This took a dark turn. <laughs> so going back to Alex. Yeah. Be- because Kurt is a quote-unquote alt-comic. Okay. Um, would you agree with that? That's a decent... Uh, I would you... say I'm a comedian. Okay. Yeah. But, but maybe you, people label you as that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think that that, that differentiation is, is sliding okay. away. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know? Okay, but Alex writes, because Kurt is an alt-comic, here is a philosopher who discussed alternative possibilities. Okay. So Harry Frankfurt. Frankfurt defined the theory of alternative possibilities as a person being responsible for his actions only if he could have done otherwise. He says this is wrong and you are still responsible for your actions even if you had no other choice. He uses the example of a demon who wants to control you. So the demon blocks out all other possible choices from your mind. If you happen to pick the demon's choice, as you might anyway, you have freely chosen the action, and the demon's control is irrelevant, making you still responsible. Frankfurt claims that there must be alternative possibilities in any situation, otherwise the demon would have nothing to block. I mean, right off the bat, I don't understand why his his, um, stance is necessary. Um, like first off the, the demon question is, well, I don't even know what that means, but if you don't have a choice, you're still responsible. Like I didn't have a choice. This sounds like a guy who uh, got into one too many fights with his girlfriend <laughs> where yeah. it was like, you really, that, that was horrible what you did. She was like, I didn't have any other choice, if right. I, I had to do it that way. And then he's just like, I'm angry about this. So I'm going to write the thing <laughs> that even if you don't have a choice, you're bad. You're wrong. Right. But like, what's I, I a think person who doesn't have a choice? Is he saying that if you don't have another choice, you're still wrong? Because I thought here, he's saying you're only, a person's only being responsible for his actions only if he could have done otherwise. No, that's the first part. Right. The second part, he says this is wrong. And you are still responsible for your actions even if you had no other choice. So how could you have no other choice? I don't know. I mean, this this guy sounds. What year is this guy? Okay, so I'm going to tell you now. Yeah, yeah. Let's get all. Let's get the whole information. Here comes the next part. He's still alive. That's interesting. Harry Gordon Frankfurt, born May 29th, 1929, is an American philosopher. He is professor emeritus of philosophy at Princeton University. He's previously taught at Yale University and Rockefeller University. That's a good. That's good credits. What still, my, my question is, what, what, like, what situation in the world required this theory? Like, what's not, it answering? What, what question is it answering? I'm not sure. We may be able to get to it as I uh, read on, and maybe not. I don't yeah. know. He obtained his BA in 1949, a PhD in 1954. His major areas of interest include moral philosophy, philosophy of mind and action, and 17th century rationalism. His 1986 paper on bullshit, a philosophical investigation of the concept of bullshit, was republished as a book in 2005 and became a surprise bestseller, leading to media appearances on everything from The Daily Show to... Okay, 
In 2006, he released a companion book on truth, which explores society's loss of the appreciation of truth. Wait, so on truth, not as not as a not as a as best of a seller as on bullshit. On bullshit, you want to read that. On right. truth, you're like, all right, philosopher. Well, he's saying people have lost appreciation for truth, so I <laughs> guess he is right. You know, it's interesting. I just uh, saw this article in the New York Times where they were talking about how all these websites like BuzzFeed mm-hmm. will still put an article out as truth, even if they know it's not true, because if, if they know it'll get them a lot of hits. Oh, yeah, of course. And they interviewed like the editors at these Gawker and BuzzFeed, and they yeah. said, look, it's not up to us to say what... So they, don't, they take no journalistic responsibility. They just oh, want no. the hits. I mean, They're, also, if, you're, if anyone's getting any facts... From any of those sites, there, <laughs> crazy person. Right. There's, there's no, that's no, there's no facts there. So I guess he's right though that people really don't appreciate truth anymore. People are more interested in what's interesting than what's true. Uh, right. I think sensationalism is probably, but that's I think, I don't think that's a new development. Mm-hmm. You know. So, you you think that's been going on as long yeah, as time? Of course, people like a little intrigue. They don't want to hear boring stuff. They want to hear fun stuff. But when I think back to like my perception of what the 1950s were, I want the truth, you know? I, I feel like uh, that, that's a reporter impression of a reporter <laughs> from the 1950s. Oh, I think that the, there was journalistic standards in the 50s right. that, don't, that, uh, that are in less abundance than now, but only because of the, the internet. Yeah, because you, now you kind of anyone can that? seem like a journalist, you mm-hmm. know? But I, you know, I, I, you know, a good friend of mine is a reporter for the Times, New York Times, and she's very concerned with journalistic integrity, mm-hmm. you know, because she has to be like, that's the, only, that's the last bastion of it, right? Yeah. Once that's gone, then the Times becomes Gawker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Cool. So let's, uh, let's go back to this idea. I don't know the context of where this comes from, unfortunately. I still, I don't understand this. Parentheses, because it says Frankfurt defined the theory of alternative possibilities as a person being responsible for his actions only if could he, he could have done otherwise. Have you ever heard of the theory of alternative possibilities no. before? No, this is very, all new stuff. Let me look. He it says up this also. is wrong, and you are still responsible for your actions even if you had no other choice. What are the situations where you have no other choice? Where? Why does he need? Why do we need this? I agree with your question as being uh, good. Right? I, I don't understand either. Let me see. Well, here's the whole thing on it. Frankfurt's theory of alternative possibilities. The principle of alternative possibilities. The principle of alternative possibilities forms part of an influential argument for the incompatibility of responsibility and causal determinism. What is determinism again? Determinism would be that, like a like a fatalistic kind of thing, where it's like you're you're just. Everything that you're going to do has already been determined, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Right, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Now we talked about this in the past one. Okay. Often called the core argument for incompatibilism, this argument is detailed below. The acronym is PAP, Principle of Alternative Possibilities. An agent is responsible for an action only if said agent could have done otherwise. Okay, now we got that on the two. The agent could have done otherwise only if causal determinism is false. Therefore, the agent is responsible for an action only if causal determinism is false. 
See, this is what I think is problematic about modern philosophy. It just references other philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, does it have a fucking thing to say about my life? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. It has a lot to say about someone else's philosophical writings, who I'm not familiar with. And so, therefore, it just feels like this doesn't, it's not relevant. Mm -hmm. If someone actually doesn't have a choice, I mean, like, yeah, there's, we, we, we need to get more, more information. So wait, how about this? Here, here, if you hit someone with your car because you can't, because the brakes fail on your car and you can't stop the car, mm-hmm. you have no other choice but to hit them. Like, there's no other, there's nowhere to go. What, if, say, everything... You can't turn the wheel. No, no, no you're, you, like, okay. you try to turn the wheel. The wheel breaks and the, and the, and the, and the gas pedal, everything breaks on the car. Okay. You're still responsible for, for like, it's still your fault. You're still at fault for hurting that person? I don't agree with that. I don't think that's true. I don't understand. I have a feeling that this theory is maybe not what we're talking about, because that seems to Let's uh, get him on the be line. a silly thing to say. He's still, he's still alive. He's yeah. In- if your car misfires and you don't have a choice to kill someone because the car kills them, I guess you could say you had, the, you had the choice to get in the car in the first place. And drive a car that might be faulty and not have it inspected or uh, not have sprung for a better car. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know either. Traditionally, compatibilists reject premise two, arguing that, properly understood, free will is not compatible with determinism. According to the traditional compatibilist analysis of free will, an agent is free to do otherwise when he would have done otherwise had he wanted to do otherwise. Agents may possess free will according to the conditional analysis, even if determinism is true. Who knows? I mean, there's an argument against free will in that, like, that we're just driven by emotion, that, like, our conscious mind really is just making up excuses for what our, the bottom of our brain wanted to do anyway, or was going to do. And so then we just, like, oh, no, I, I... I came up with a really convincing reason for why I did that. Whereas the reason you did that was just like, mm, I'm going to do it. Right. You know, I'm, I signed up. There's um, a clinic that's, that's doing an eating disorder program that I'm trying to get into. To mm-hmm. maybe It might help me lose weight. And uh, I was supposed to show up to see if they would accept me into this program. Yeah. And I didn't. I, yeah. I, I, I just forgot. I, I right. meant to. And the, the the organizer called me. He goes, well, "Where were you?" And I I, God, I forgot. I can't believe I forgot. I never forget these things. Yeah. So he he goes, "Can you come in tomorrow?" Sure. So I, I go in. This is yesterday. And he he says, uh, "Well, why do you think you forgot?" And the way why he you, said it, why do you think you forgot? Right. I knew that he wanted us, uh, me to psychoanalyze myself. Yeah. So I did a good job with it, and I said, "Well." I think I just forgot, but if you want to read into it deeper, maybe on a subconscious level, I'm afraid of joining a program like this because another failure at losing weight would be <laughs> too hard for me to tolerate. Yeah. And uh, it's a lot easier not to try than to try and fail. So maybe I'd rather just not show up and not do the whole thing. And he was very satisfied with that answer. And he's like, okay. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of proves what you're saying. Yeah, right. Right. But on the other hand, maybe everything I said to him was correct. Maybe. I mean, I do have a fear of figure out fear of failure. See, for years I didn't realize I had 
people always say, oh, do you have a fear of success? And I, I think, no, I love, I love success. Yeah, I love success. success. Success looks great. Yeah. But I didn't really realize until recently that a fear of success and a fear of failure are just flip sides of the same coin. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just, if, if, if you just told me, okay, you could definitely succeed. There's no chance of failing. I'm, I'm there. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But once, uh, once succeeding also implies that you might fail, I'm like, I might just stay home. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have a, a fear of success or feel failure. I, I have no problem. And I, I think just because from doing improv for so long, where it's like failure was just part of the thing. And also doing stand-up for so long, where you're just like, mm. you just fail at that for years and years and years before you're any good. And so I don't think that's my thing. But it is like, I don't... Sometimes I would just, I pr- prefer just not to do anything. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I'm like, I just... Want to hang out? So it's a lack of motivation. Yeah, sometimes I'm too self-satisfied in the fact that I won't try. There it is. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or I'm just like I'm pretty happy right now. This is pretty great. I think I'll just not do anything today. What you do know? You, what do you think regulates motivation in people? What do you think? I think it's fear, right? I mean, that's probably what motivates me. Fear of a lack of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Or fear of someone being better than you. Yeah. That sort of thing. Some, so it's a, like a competitive nature? Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely a competitive nature. So I guess so. the biggest motivation you think is it comes from a fear of other people beating you? Um, yeah, and or just of like, you know, it comes down to just dying. You know, it's the, mm-hmm. it's the base fear is like fear of death. And by having like, by having success, you can just like stave off. Mm-hmm. This, the the death feeling for a little bit longer. Distract yourself. In other yeah, words. exactly. Yeah. Boredom can often lead to, uh, you know, just thinking about your own mortality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with uh, failure when you have it? Uh, it is tough. It's like, because, um, you know, you just, it's very depressing, you know? Uh, and it gets... I mean, you have to just shake it off. You have to rationalize it away on some level because otherwise it gets over too, too overwhelming. Or you have to say like, all right, I'm going to allow it to motivate me to do a better job next time. Mm. Like it fucked up this time. That's actually more what it is. Because I, I mean, like I've tried to get a th- hundreds of projects off the ground that never have gotten anywhere. And so it's, I now use it as a, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't it work, and what can I do next time so that doesn't happen again? So, in, in other words, you just find a way not to be discouraged. Yeah, you have to. And even if it's lying, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you have to find a way not. Because even, like, auditioning. Like, I go on with so many auditions every week, and uh, 100% of them don't give me the job. <laughs> right. I don't think I've ever gotten a job from an audition. Really? Ever. Uh, they were always wanting to, wanting to use me. And they just offer me the job. That's how I get all my jobs. So auditioning, I have a 100% failure rate. But if I let that affect me every time when... I think, I mean, I, I think unconsciously on some level it does affect me. Mm-hmm. Um, where I don't look at them as fun. I don't look at them as opportunities. I, I mean, I'm trying to look at them as opportunities mm-hmm. for success instead of um, another opportunity, another, another pat- platform that I can fail at, you know? Right. And you have to do it that way. You have to... Look at it as like a fun thing that you could make better. It's so easy to beat yourself up. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I struggle with, 
and when I was when I was a young comic and I started out when I was a very young comic yeah. and I started out in New York at the New York Comedy Club a lot of the older guys there were they were headliners at that club mm-hmm. and that's about it and that's about it yeah. and they were very bitter and jealous and I remember telling myself I'm never going to get jealous of other people's success I'm never going to let that make me bitter yeah and I did the very best I could at that for years <laughs> And then it started to happen. So part of my struggle, I find, is fighting these impulses to be, you know, just to stay focused on nobody else's success has anything to do with yours or failure. And, of course, the more you don't succeed, the harder that is to do. But have you experienced any any of that uh, struggles with jealousy? And and if so, have you dealt with it? Oh, yeah. Jealousy happens all the time, especially when it's, especially among stand-ups. Um, I would never, there was only very specific people I would be jealous of and I would only be jealous of them if I didn't think they were any good, you Mm -hmm. know, where I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like make me angry that that person got whatever they got. Mm -hmm. Um, or if I thought I should have been further along than they were, do you know what I mean? But it doesn't like showbiz doesn't like give a shit showbiz doesn't like oh how long you've been doing this oh six years all right here you go you get you get that this star you know it's like some people just literally move to new york and a year later they're super famous you know? right right whereas i was there for 14 years with nothing uh-huh. um so yeah i mean i don't i i think i've for the most part let it let it go and you know but if you get anybody together you just badmouth people all the time you know <laughs> How do you manage that though? How do you how do you manage the emotions and the feelings and are there tricks that you use on yourself? Um I try and if I'm if I'm if I'm talking shit about somebody, I try and realize if I'm talking shit about them because I really think they're that they're un, not talented or if I'm just being petty and mm-hmm. jealous because I want what they have. And usually it's a bit of both. You just sort of police yourself. Yeah, but also, like, I'm not a person who's, like, filled with jealousy all the time, mm-hmm. you know? I'll look at someone's life and be like, that seems pretty awesome. But at the same time, as you get, some, as you get small successes, um, you realize that it's not who you are when you started is who you are after you're famous. You're mm-hmm. the same person. If you're unhappy uh, when you weren't famous, you're going to be unhappy when you're famous. And if you're happy when you're not, you're going to be happy when you're famous, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not a measure of, of happiness. It's more like power, you know? It's like how much power does that person have? And the only thing that I see valuable in having power in showbiz is to make things, you know? Like if, I, if I'm able to have an idea and then to make just because I'm trusted enough to be able to make it with little interference, right. I think that's cool. And I think that's probably my goal. To be able to make things that don't exist right now and, mm-hmm. you know, make some cool culture. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's also a sense of validation and saying, see, I was right. I am funny. I, right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And having everybody be like, you were right. Yeah, you were right. You suffered for all those years for a reason. Right. Yeah. The difference is a lot of, is, is having everyone <laughs> around you go, mm, I think you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <nah>, right. <laughs> Are we going to read our, some quotes? Yes. 
These are... Uh, I have a feeling this first quote, I've read it from over there. Oh, really? That first quote is exactly what this says. It doesn't make any sense. You must have the eyesight of a hawk. Skip it. It doesn't make any sense. All right, let's hear it anyway so we can... All right, this, the principle of alternative possibilities is false. A person may well be morally responsible for what he has done, even though he could not have done otherwise. The principle's plausibility is an illusion, which can be made to vanish by bringing the relevant moral phenomena into sharper focus. It does still sound to me like a dude who's mad at someone who's like, I didn't have a choice. And he's like, you had a choice. Yes, you did. Yes, you did have a choice. Maybe he killed someone at some point. Yeah. He's just trying to make himself feel better. <laughs> no, he's not. He's saying... Uh, oh, no, he's saying it would be his fault. Yeah. Never mind. I'm sorry. That's, I, keep, uh, I keep flipping his, his own theory on I know, him to right. make it into mine. The principle's plausibility. I mean, I think it's what you said. I could have not gotten in the car. Mm-hmm. So I did have a choice. I could have not gotten in the car. Right. But he's saying even if you have no choice. Let me see. Seems makes zero sense. I'm looking back at this um, Wikipedia entry. This seems to be some a philosophy that's so far up its own butt that it doesn't make common sense. Yeah. It's like that math problem that makes it, the gravity not, yeah, it's yeah. too far away from. Yeah. Frankfurt's examples are significant because they suggest an alternative way to defend the compatibility of moral responsibility and determinism in particular by rejecting the first premise of the argument. According to this view, responsibility is compatible. We already went through. Uh, I don't see any. Let's see. Donald is a Democrat and is likely to vote for Democrats. In fact, only in one particular circumstance will he not. That is, if he thinks about the prospects of immediate American defeat in Iraq just prior to voting. Mrs. White, a representative of the Democratic Party, wants to ensure that Donald votes Democratic, so she secretly plants a device in Donald's head that, if activated, will force him to vote Democratic. Not wishing to reveal her presence unnecessarily, Mrs. White plans to activate the device only if Donald thinks about the Iraq war prior to voting. As things happen, Donald does not think about the Iraq war prior to voting, so Mrs. White thus sees no reason to activate the device, and Donald votes Democratic on his own accord. Apparently, Donald is responsible for voting Democratic, although, owing to Mrs. White's device, he lacks freedom to do otherwise. What the f- What are these fucking devices? <laughs> who, who, what philosophy is this for? Who is utilizing this? There's demons that are keeping you from any other... There's old women who are inserting machines in your brain that keep you voting Democrat? What the fuck do we give a shit? Why is this a f- relevant philosophy? No. I'm, I have issue with your friend whoever chose this shit. <laughs> Maybe we can get him on the line. Let me see if I can call him yeah. up. We can ask him. Some real bullshit. Let's see what this next quote is. Let me, let me, while you're doing that, okay. I'll read this next quote, see if it sheds any light on why we need this. Okay. There may be circumstances that in no way bring it about that a person performs a certain action. There may... Ugh, I hate this sentence. There may be circumstances that in no way bring it about that a person performs a certain action. A meaningless sentence. Nevertheless... Those very circumstances make it impossible for him to avoid performing that action. What? Where in the real world? Give me another quote. This is I'm infuriated. I'm calling Alex. First. I'm infuriated. Let's see. Let's see if we can get him on the line. Did this is this is just one of his professors? <laughs> this is just see. one I don't of his know. professors. I don't know that he's ever met him. Let's see. Hope he answers. Come on, Alex. Yeah. Why do we need this?
don't think you, that's too many rings. Once it rings that many times, I start yeah. losing hope. Really, hello? Hey. Hey, I didn't expect that. See? Oh, I was wrong. Alex, I'm sitting here with Kurt Braunholer. Hello. Uh, hi. Uh, we we have some issues with the with the philosophy you chose. We have I have an issue with the the philosopher you chose. Okay. Why do we need this philosophy? Why who who has demons in their head that are controlling them? Why why is this philosophy ever even exist? What what question does it answer? Because some guy in the mid eighties thought, hey, uh, let's prove alternative possibilities are real by making up a demon argument that doesn't quite work. It works for about half of it. Demons. That's about it. But I mean, like, what if you're in a car and you're, yeah. the gas pedal, I mean, the, uh, the brake is broken and the steering wheel is broken, and because of that, you have no other choice but to kill someone, you're morally responsible yeah. for murdering them? Is that what this philosophy says? I don't, I don't, I don't think he's right, but yeah, that's what he thinks, apparently. But why? Why, why does he exist? Why, what, what question is he answering? Like, what, what, what problem in the world was like, I need to do this because, I need to come up with this theory because... There's an issue we're dealing with. Well, part of what he's trying to do is um, half of it is the, the moral aspect of it. The other part was just saying that determinists who think that everything is pre-planned by causes, everything is determined by the past, that they're wrong because he's saying if a demon could block alternative possibilities from happening, they must exist. So I think half of it is um, the moral part, but the other part just makes uh, and trying to say, hey. Everything isn't just um, predetermined. Okay, so he's fighting against determinism. Yeah. All right. Good. So that that, 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 of... that that answers the question that this is not a useful philosophy. This is a philosophy. My 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 theory was that this philosophy this is the type of philosophy that's so far up its own ass in the world of philosophy oh, yeah. that it has lost bearing on common sense real world <laughs> applications. It is pretty uh, pretty up there. Yeah. Okay, great. So I was okay. <laughs> All right, thank cool. you. But but I have a but if if good to hear from you too, Alex. Thanks. But um, the determinism would prove that you don't have a choice, basically, right? Right. And isn't he saying the exact same thing in a way? He's saying if you don't have a choice, you're still responsible for your actions. So here now it all comes into clear focus. So what he was saying is that if you're he was he was worried about determinists. Mm -hmm. If everything's determined predetermined for you, then you don't have a moral responsibility to the world. So if I shot you in the head right now, mm -hmm. I would say my argument for why I'm I, I could you could argue that I'm not responsible for killing you because I didn't really choose to kill you. It was already predetermined that I would do this. Uh -huh. And so he's saying, even if de determinism exists, right. even if we're predetermined to do everything in the world, we're still morally responsible for our actions, oh, so which that, is fine. Okay, That's great. But I really don't think that there's a person who honestly believes that they have no free will in right. the world. We have an illusion of free will. Even if it's an illusion, mm -hmm. we all still have it. Do you think it's an illusion? I mean, there's a lot of arguments that we don't have free will. You know, just like that our that our brain is going to make the choices. That's, that, the, oh, that's uh, the determinist our unconscious, argument. Yeah, right. like that our unconscious mind is pretty much in charge right. most of the time. And our conscious mind is there just to kind of make us feel like our ego has control. Doesn't free choice kind of have to tie in with the idea of God? Um, because Does it? Why? Because I'm, I'm asking you, doesn't it? Because if if there is... 
a god, mm-hmm. then God is giving you free choice, which in a way isn't really a free choice, right? <laughs> oh, that he gave us free will? I mean, that's right. a Christian thing, right? God gave us free will so that he could... Right. So I guess we could pray a lot. <laughs> but but if there isn't, then you absolutely have to have free choice. There is no other argument, right, against free choice if there's no God. Uh no, the argument against free choice or free will mm-hmm. is one of, you know, you could say that like um, for millions of or millions of years of evolution okay. and your specific brain type and chemistry, okay. that it's all led up to this. And if there's if there was a way to look inside your brain, you kind of just predict every choice you're making, regardless of what you thought you would choose oh, in that situation. Yeah. So it's not like something is controlling your actions externally, it's internally controlling yeah, yeah, yeah. your actions. Exactly. That it's predetermined. Everything is going to happen a specific way. But, but what about things that change in your environment? Uh, that, right. That, that doesn't... Even if scientifically you've evolved in a certain way that everything is going to happen this way, something else and the randomness of the universe coming into contact with but if, you... But if you have kind of like... If you imagine your, your, subcon- your unconscious mind is like a computer program, where like you can feed whatever information into that program, it's still going to give you predictable results. Right. So if your unconscious mind can is essentially predictable, some people say. But if it's a computer program and there are unknown viruses that the computer program doesn't know how to handle, right? You know, coming at you, then right. So that's just like the biological thing that we're dealing with. There's right. other also people who say that there's just no choice at all, and that's who this guy's responding to. Right. I think. What's your belief in all of it? Um, I don't, re- I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think I have free choice, and so that's a pretty convincing argument right there. I can't mm-hmm. imagine thinking I don't have free choice. I can't imagine a way of thinking that way, mm-hmm. you know? Like, what would that, how would I wrap my brain around just consciously ex- accepting that I don't have free choice in the matter? You know, there's something comforting about it too, especially going back to see. That's what that what the, the comfort you're talking about is what he's responding to. Yeah, it's like no, it can't be comforting. Like you can't. Right. You have to be responsible for your actions. The comforting yeah. part is just like oh, he's a dick. Whatever I, happens, don't take away a, my comfort. <laughs> yeah, taking it away. Yeah, because you can apply that to those auditions and say, look, you had no choice in the matter. The universe exactly. set, set it up. It was already so, set up to go this way. You could do but anything. But also, in- there's that. There's a. There's another argument to be made here, that maybe determinism is true, that we're fated or determined to act in this specific way throughout our lives, but also that we exist in uh, an infinite number of universes in which we have made every other choice differently. And so for that specific universe, you were supposed to do that, but that there's a, 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 an infinite number of other ones where you made different choices. For I love your whole that life. because there's a version of me in another universe that is kicking ass right yeah, now. Yeah, right. And that can- <laughs> <laughs> I've I've often thought about that, like in terms of time travel. I've thought like when they had those neutrino scientists that thought mm-hmm. they uh, were able to break the. You know what I'm talking about in Switzerland in the Alps. They, they yeah, where they're they doing could, the. They thought tests. they broke the speed of. Uh, of, light of light. Oh, really? I didn't know but, that. But then there came out with evidence that that, that it was incorrect. Okay. But, they, but by like some point point zero 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 something of of a second, they thought they broke it. And if yeah. they could break it, then time travel is possible. Right. And if time travel is possible, then it's very possible that I 
was doing great in life, and somebody went back in time and screwed it up for me. <laughs> and it's not well, time, my fault anymore. Well, forward time travel is possible without breaking the, the, the speed of light. Yeah? Forward time travel is relatively that. simple. How, how yeah, so? I mean, like, there are satellites that are going around the Earth that are in, in the future. Really? Mm-hmm. It's just about speed. If you go fast enough, you essentially start traveling forward in time. So they're going like, whatever, 26,000 miles per hour, uh, these satellites, mm-hmm. and they have to digitally insert that their, their, their clocks run slightly faster than a clock on Earth. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, point oh 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 one seconds mm-hmm. faster, but it does, and it has to be cons- taken into consideration. Otherwise, you know, the, they would become unsynced after a while. I got it. Just for going speed. And the whole idea is the, the, the way the theor- the theoretical, the way Einstein said it mm-hmm. was that if you are if you're looking at a clock and then you go at the speed of light away from that clock, mm-hmm. then it looks to you like the, like time is staying still. But to the person standing there, the clock is just normally ticking. But for you mm-hmm. it's not, because you're going far enough away from that point. Because time is connected to space. And so it's this time in this place. Right. And it's a different time in a different place. Which brings us back to the beginning where I got to take an extra second. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice callback. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. So I got I to gotta get hooked up with those satellites from the future so I could see, like, where, you know, the winning they're lottery like, numbers from, like, they're point the, the oh, TV oh, broadcast. They're oh, oh, one seconds in the future. <laughs> <laughs> They're very small amount of time in the future. Well, maybe like as technology gets better, I can... yeah. I mean, if you just continued to go faster and faster, mm-hmm. you would just your time would slow down, right? While time on Earth would would you know stay the same. Okay, so here's the new plan. I joined a Dish Network satellite television that's a little bit in the future, <laughs> and I run on a treadmill as fast as I can while watching it, and then I'll running, have the winning lottery away numbers. from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out. It all works out. I'm a billionaire. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. <laughs> you made me rich. Uh, so, did we ever read this last quote that it's impossible? Did you want to? Did we yeah, re- sure. read this one? It is impossible for someone to lie unless he thinks he knows the truth. A person who lies is thereby responding to the truth, and he is to that extent respectful of it. Isn't that true? Uh... You can't if you don't know the truth. It's not a lie. But you could be making stuff up. You don't know the facts, right? I have no idea what that means, honestly. Is, um, it's impossible for someone to lie unless he thinks he knows the truth. Okay, right. right. Yeah, that part it so, makes sense. So if I don't think any, there's any truth, I'm never lying. Right. If I don't think anything's true, I'm never lying. So if you perceive reality in a different way than me, and you think everything that I think reality is isn't... Yeah. And then I'm not lying to you, you when you're I tell never, you, you can't, this table's purple. Right. Yeah. That's a good way of getting out of lying. Just <laughs> this change. guy's all about excuses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'd be, a, he'd be a tough guy to win an argument with. No kidding. Yeah. Well, you, don't, you think you know the facts, but, you know, my truth is very different than yours. <laughs> He's definitely interesting, you know, and I'd like to know more about him. I'm I'm fine not knowing anything else about him. <laughs> You're done with him? Yep, I'm done with him. I want to see what John Stewart had to say to him when he did the Daily Show. 
So you think most of the philosophers nowadays are are pretty much? I think really where the philosophy is at is in like advanced astrophysics. So that's the that's the fascinating shit now. Yeah, it's where it's like science. You can, yeah, where they're actually testing the actual mm-hmm. fabric of the universe. That stuff's really interesting to me. Which, which bring, like the Higgs boson particle, you know, like that stuff's, and or like dark matter, like that's kind of totally interesting to me. Which is an interesting line between philosophy and science now, which also raises a question for me about this show, which uh, assumes the premise that comedians are modern day philosophers and what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. How soon until comedy becomes science? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Not laughing quite as much, but very interesting (laughs) show. Well, Kurt, thanks so much. It was great having you here. Thank you. Thank Uh, you. All right. Have a good day. I'll see you later. Take responsibility for your actions. (laughs) Never. That's our show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks again to Kurt Braunholer. Thank you to everybody who's been writing into the show. It means a lot to me. I love hearing from you. Please write in and say hello to the comical at yahoo.com. Let me know if you want to be one of the 15 people to get one of this Some Kind of Comedian on vinyl album. It's only 25 bucks. I will ship it to you. If the shipping is expensive, it'll also be plus shipping. Um, but $25, and I'll sign it. And it's, uh, it is only one of 15 left. So let me know about that. Please make a donation to the show. It is The Drive, The Big Drive, uh, moderndayphilosophers.net. And uh, if you're able to leave a nice comment on iTunes, uh, nobody's done that for a while, which I'm not saying is uh, you know reflective of anything, but I think it makes a, a difference in terms of our placement on the iTunes chart. So it's a nice way you could help. It only takes a few seconds of your time. It doesn't cost anything. Just click on the comment section. Ratings and reviews in iTunes and leave a nice uh, rating, five-star rating for the show, and you'd be helping out in that way. Okay, thank you everybody so much for tuning in, and uh, I wish you all well. look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for tuning in. Tell people about it. Share share it. Spread the word. Let the folks know about Modern Day Philosophers until next time, when we'll have another exciting and jam-packed episode for you. Bye-bye. Have a good week. So long.